Hello and welcome back to the Men of God Project Podcast. My name's Nathaniel Gerber. And I'm Jonathan Seaman. And we do confess that it's been a while since we've done this. Yeah, it's been, uh, well, let's see, it's August. The last one was in April. Mm-hmm. Early, early May it would have been if we did one in May. I think so it was April. Yeah, so it's been about three, four months. Oh, yeah. It's good to be back. We want to finish up our series today. Yes, uh, the Baptist distinctive. So we, we've gone through, we have biblical authority. Autonomy of the local church. P is priesthood of believers. Priesthood of believers. T is the two ordinances. That's right. I is individual soul liberty. Individual soul liberty. <laughs> saved S, church membership. Saved church membership. And then now we're at the last T, which is the two, two offices. offices. And we did do some work with separation of church and state before. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to kind of dive in with this one. And finish out the series. You know, again, it's been a while. We needed a refresher ourselves on on the other Baptist distinctives. So, two then again, offices. then again, I didn't actually realize that the Baptist distinctives actually spelled out the word Baptist until we were on episode four, three or four. Yeah, we were on three or four. It was. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was pre. I, it was either priesthood of the believers or individual soul liberty. I remember it was one of those two. That it was, was one of those because I finally I was sitting there while the other two guys were talking and I was like, B-A-P. wait a minute, <laughs> Baptist. Does he spell Baptist? Wow. <laughs> so yeah. we have we have quite a bit of fun with this, but um, we want to get into it. Uh, Nate, would you like to introduce what the two offices are and then? mention our text for today yeah so we have first timothy three this is our text for the day um, main main text our main text for the yeah, day we should, yes we might turn well we we'll, will turn we it. will turn to other places um the bible's a pretty big book mm-hmm. um amen our uh, our topic is two offices and the two offices are elder and deacon or yeah, pastor elder, and deacon or elder has a couple synonyms which we'll go through after yeah. we read the first passage which is going to be first Timothy 3 1 to 7 and then we'll go, walk through that mm-hmm. so we'll uh, now is a great time to pause and open your Bible to first Timothy 3 and we'll just read verses 1 through 7 to start off here and we'll just work our way through this topic because it has been a while Let's uh, remember, we're using the King James Version. Uh, it's a translation we both like. It's very accurate. And there's no copyright on it because it's been around for 500 years. 500, uh, 400 years. 400, yeah. 400 years. It's like 411 years old. Actually, yeah, this year, 411. Yeah, 411, because it was made in 1611. Yeah. That was a long time ago. It was. Were you born yet, Jonathan? You know, as old as I am and as old as everyone makes me out to be, I was not. Wow, that was a long time ago then. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> eh, I probably shouldn't say that. Okay. All right, First <laughs> Timothy 3, starting in verse 1. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop that must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy looker, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, not covet, co- covetous, covetous. That's the word. Mm. One that ruleth well his own house, 
having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Okay. Now, this says bishop. King James and a lot of other older translations will use the word bishop. Bishop is the same office as uh, elder, overseer, pastor. Um, all of these are used interchangeably in, sh in Scripture, and should ne one should never be placed above another. So we we use you know the word pastor when we re uh, refer to our ministers. Um, you know, pas pastor so and so. Maybe if you get into a little bit older of a church, you would say reverend instead. Reverend. Instead, but you're gonna elder, pastor, bishop. Those are the overseer. Those are the same office, and it's that kind of. Uh, it's the. It's usually generally that's the person who preaches the word on a Sunday, and you know you might have another one for visitation or or a missions or a discipleship, a counseling, counseling minister yeah. possibly. So. Um, we wanted to mention that. Um, do you just want to do this like one verse we did at a the time? Other day? Yeah, we could just do one go. verse at a time. So we kind of we cover verse one. Uh, well, the desire. Well, he is, desireth a good work. It. So with that desire, isn't ne isn't like necessarily a you know I need to have. It's not like you're starving and you need food. It's more of a you know I want to do that and I think I'm I think I should do that. Um, like I could use an afternoon snack type of video. And with that, it's, you know, if God has called me to this, then I would, I would love to do it. If he hasn't, then I have to be content in that role God has placed me in because he has not called me to do it. Um, now I want an afternoon snack. Right? Now you want an afternoon. I'm sorry, Nate. I'm sorry. I do have taffy here, but yeah. I don't make too much noise. Yeah. Um, so desire is an important part of... Uh, it is an important part of knowing that you you have a called ministry, and you shouldn't be stuck in ministry saying I don't want to do this because that's not a right hat attitude to have when you're serving God, and you might not have been called, and you're not going to be an effective, uh, effective shepherd to your people if you feel like you have to be there and you don't want to be there. Okay. But let's go on to verse two. Um, a bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, good behavior, given to hospitality, and apt to teach. Blameless, I kind of – I mean, no one is perfect in right. their life. But I see it as you shouldn't have someone who's obviously clearly living in sin Right, it's someone that pastor. has it, – it's someone that is clearly repentant and yes. confesses their sin quickly. And mm -hmm. um, Husband of one wife, that's fairly – One woman man. One, one, one woman, woman man. man. Um, now, an unmarried pastor, that's, that's okay. Um, the idea is that they're not – uh, poly polygamists where mm -hmm. they're dating or uh, women outside adulterers fornicators uh, that's kind of the idea of that mm -hmm. um, vigilant um, I have a note in my bible um, uh, let's see here verse 2 uh, so this says temperant um, so vigilant you know obviously aware of what's going on and part of that is being sober. Now, the word sober here means to be clear thinking, not free of alcohol or drugs. However, being sober, you do have to be free of those things. So, 
it's the idea that I want to keep a clear mind and I need to be able to think and reason and have logic and I need to be able to know the word and if I am under the influence of something I'm not going to be able to do that that's not what mm. it's not prohibiting influences there mm. we'll see that in the next verse a little bit more of good behavior um, I think this verse here and then uh, given to hospitality I think this verse here goes really well with verse 7 and obviously we'll get to that in a minute mm-hmm. uh, given to hospitality you must be hospitable it you know he must be welcoming he must be able to speak with the person that comes to him he must shepherd the flock um, mm-hmm. is what I would say and then apt to teach is an interesting one uh, Nate I'm going to throw a fly ball do you know why that's an interesting one well, to me, it's simple. Well, no. Apt to teach. The fly ball here is that that's the only skill in this list of qualifications. There's one skill, and the rest is character. The only skill is that you have to be able to teach. The rest is character. Blameless, that's character. Hmm. Husband of one wife is kind of a characteristic, but it's more about character in living a godly lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, vigilant, sober, good behavior, hospitality, not given to wine. Uh, and then the list keeps going on. So it's it's interesting because that's the only, the only like outwards or well thing they need outward, to know how to do. It's the only skill you are, that's required to be an elder de- or elder or bishop or pastor, whatever word you want to use there. That's the only thing you have to be able to do is teach. The rest is all character requirements. But what does one mean when they say apt to teach? Why don't you give a definition there? So we we talked about it in class today. Part of it is a knowledge of the word. You have to know your content. You have to know the word. And you have to be able to clearly communicate what the word is saying. So what we, we would call it exposit. So you have to exegete and know. And then you have to clearly communicate and exposit. Does that make sense? Am I, am I apt to teach, Nate? You're getting there. Huh. You're getting I, I there. Mean there. Um, so, apt to teach is a skill. I would say there is some divine help there. I would say that a lot of it is also going to be a natural ability. There is a natural ability, and then there is a uh, divine reliance, and then there's an ability to further uh, further um, learn that skill. Because, again, it's, a, it's the only skill. You can mm-hmm. actually learn that. Um so, good way to practice teaching is if you are if you are able to teach and you think you can teaching children. For uh, I teach a fourth and fifth grade kids Sunday school over the summer. I or uh, yeah, fourth and fifth grade and a third and fourth grade Wednesday night program. Um, lots of fun. Um, and the advantage to doing that is you learn how to teach children. Make sure they understand what you're saying. You get to develop illustrations. You you have to. You have to know the word, you have to present the word, and you have to make sure it's understandable and applicable. And so you have to lay that out all very simply. So when you do go into a full-time ministry role, if you do, if you are called to that, then God can, then God will use that skill, the skills you've learned to impact other people's lives. The Holy Spirit will will help them understand some of that as well. But uh, let's go on to verse 3, unless you have anything else to say on 2. Well, I was... There's definitely a, a difference between teaching children and teaching adults. There is, there from, is, but there's a lot of basic. I'm saying there's a lot of basic things you have to. No, do, no, obviously. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not really saying that. There's oh, okay. not, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just. It's mainly. There's a different level of knowledge. Like you can have 
Exactly. You have to preach to your what your level requires. Exactly. And when you're preaching, I don't want to say preaching down, but if you're preaching at a children's age, it's going to be harder because you have to preach down so much further uh-huh. than preaching to uh-huh. a an adult Sunday school class. You have to be able to clearly communicate to that uh, fourth grader, you know, this is, you know, this is what the lesson says. This is how you have to apply it to life. With an adult, an adult uh, with an adult, a lot of times you can say, this is what the Bible says. So what does that mean? And hopefully, if you have a good Sunday school, they'll raise their hand and say, this is how you apply it. Now, if you have a Sunday school like uh, for fifth and sixth grade where they're borderline or a lot of adult Sunday school classes, they just don't want, they have a fear of man or they have different things like that and they don't answer, they might be able to think maybe this is the right answer, but I don't give the wrong answer. Mm. But maybe they, with an adult, they are more, they are more able to logically process what the word means and apply it. Now, you should bring in an application with the idea of what your preaching leads to this point. That is the point of of preparing a sermon. is mm-hmm. This is what the Word says, and this is how it changes your life. This is how it should impact you. This is how you do the Word. Let us not be hearers of the Word only, but doers also. Mm-hmm. That's James, isn't it? Yeah, it is James. Yeah. It's so my book. Yeah. So the idea is is when you're apt to teach, you understand what skill level the people you're teaching have. So if I'm teaching fourth and fifth graders, I can't just go into this this deep theological discussion about um, about the Great Commission and its practical application in everyday life, citing Hebrew and Greek. Good. I couldn't do that to adult Sunday school class very easily either because they don't know a lot of the background to it. I mean, they may understand the Great Commission in its essence, but a fourth uh, fourth grader, I'm going to have to say, look, here's what the Bible says. Matthew 28 says, you know, uh, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. And it, then it says, go Judea, Samaria. Uh, then it gives the list. Um, the idea is, when I'm teaching that fourth grader, I have to say, now, how do you take this? They're going to, you know, I don't know. Well, the fourth, you have to tell the fourth grader, well, what this means is, if you're saved, you have to tell the other people about Jesus Christ, that he lived, died, was buried, and rose again, it's the gospel, to pay for the debt of your sin, and that you can live at peace with God now because he has He has paid the price of your sin, and he has um, imputed, which is like to set upon, he has imputed his righteousness to you, he has justified you, and he... Uh, we have the promise in Romans 8, Nate and I were talking about earlier, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ, Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, that there is the good news of the Gospel. We are not condemned because Jesus Christ came, lived, died, rose again, and then ascended to heaven to sit on the right hand of God to make intercession for for uh, the people on earth, for specifically for the saints. Mm-hmm. But he lived, but because of his life, we can live too. Now, I'm explaining this to a kid. I have to explain so much more than this. If I said that to an adult, an adult they would, I would assume, get it. They would under, they would follow that logical train. A fourth grader isn't going to do that. I have to walk each of those steps where I find each of those from each passage. I have to walk each of those through. I have to be able to teach. Well, here's where it says, 
Christ's life and death, Romans 5, that's where it says, uh, being reconciled by his death, or be, uh, Romans 5, uh, 9, I believe, um, which for uh, sake of time, we won't go there. Um, so, um, the the point with this is that you have to walk them through, give a practical application, make sure they understand what is being said. They have to know, well, here's what the gospel is. That's go and making disciples. That, uh, that's The gospel is what you use to do that. So now, if the Bible is telling us to go and make disciples, we have to be sharing the gospel. So you have to explain what the gospel is. You have to explain each part of that and make sure they can understand. You have to go through a couple more layers of theology because it's it may be basic, but they probably haven't learned that. Um, I notice a lot of fourth and fifth graders um, are not as good with their Bible because they didn't grow up reading it with their parents. I can tell I can tell the difference between a third grader and a fifth grader going on sixth grader and I can see a knowledge difference in the third grade Wednesday night program versus the sixth the person the kid moving into sixth grade at the Sunday school I can see somewhat of a knowledge difference and I know that that third grader has been in the word since the day he was born with his parents I know that sixth grader probably gets it Sunday morning Sunday maybe Sunday evening and then Wednesday night and probably not a whole lot at home mm -hmm. I can see the difference between those those two people, the one that's getting it three times a week and the person that's getting it 10, 20 times a week. And you can see the difference in knowledge level and you can go from there because that's going to bring different skill level. You have to teach to that person differently, to the third grader differently than you need to teach to the sixth grader because the sixth grader might not know all this other, this other biblical truth. Now they might, they might have, they might know the core essentials that we're talking about, but to, to teach to their level is different. Each of those is different. So then you get into an adult and you know they can follow that stream that I gave for what the gospel is and they can take that and they can say, well, is this how I apply it? And you can say, yes, that's exact, or yes or no. Um, and we can go from there in a way that makes it so that they know this is why I have to do. They can come up with the idea. They can process the idea in their mind. They might not come to the exact right conclusion. They might come to the perfect conclusion. They might be, come to a conclusion better than what the minister was meaning. They might be, the minister might have pointed to his sermon a specific way, but that person might have come to another idea. Now, that's not always a great thing. That's not always a bad thing. You know, we don't want heresy, but we want you to be able to know your Bible. That's, mm -hmm. And by having to go through all those steps with the kids, it's making sure that you do right. know your Bible. Because mm -hmm. one can stand up and say a pretty strong biblical concept like what we said. Yeah. I can say all of that and not know anything. And not I mean, know I anywhere where you can get it from, where yeah. it comes from. Yeah. So, you know, I love our rabbit trails. Yeah, I do too. So we better get back to the text, yeah, you know, and stop dancing around telling all sorts of Sunday school stories. And soon we'll be talking about Canada. So, Nate is disappointed in me, I think. Well, um... I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. No. Horrendous. Oh, oh great. Thank you. Yes, you're yeah. welcome. It, it truly was, though, wasn't it? Yes. Anyways, um, let's get back to it. Not given to wine. 
We should probably edit that part out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to the Presbyterians, if you are listening. Baptists don't drink. Um, it's not just this verse. I mean, this verse is pointed specifically to the elder. Again, the elder needs to be have a clear thinking so to stay sober and to be able to think they probably shouldn't be drinking. And you could make a defense that uh, well, we'll talk about that when it comes to Deacon. We'll give a defense with that. Um, no striker. He's not going to... Uh, it says no striker or brawler. Um, he's not getting in fights left and right, you know. Um, he's not greedy. Uh, greedy of filthy lucre. That's money. He's not. He doesn't just pursue money. He's not doing the job for money. He's doing the job to serve God. Um and he's patient, and he's understanding, and he cares for his congregation, um, and he loves the congregation. Part of that is, like, in um, in Ephesians, you hear, um, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved his church. And it says he washes her with the water of the word. The minister is supposed to be the sh- under-shepherd to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. The under-shepherd should, uh, should be in the word. He should teach the word he should preach the word to his congregation um the idea the idea is that he needs to be able to be patient with them mm-hmm, though, mm-hmm. and care for them and love them so that they are receptive um if we go on he's not covetous and that's uh he kind of easy you know covetous yeah. is that one of those older words he doesn't just you know want everything around him he's not lustful he you know, he is he is able to say, I am content in the spot God has placed me in. Mm-hmm. So. And I mean, if you really think about it, to throw in a joke, if you really go into pastoral ministry for the money, you shouldn't be in it anyway. Well, uh, no, that's not really a joke. That's completely true. Well, no, because they're probably not in their right mind if they think they're doing it for the money. Yeah, first of all, you're crazy. Unless you're planning on preaching at a church John MacArthur's size, which we have gone over some of the problems with John, some of the problems with a church of that size. Um, unless you are planning on preaching at a mega church or being Joel Olstein, which has all sorts of other problems, you know, heretic. Um, <coughs> <coughs> sorry, sorry. Um, the the point is that you're probably not making a lot of money in the ministry. Sorry, but that's what you were thinking. That just goes to show that the ones that are in ministry, you can tell they're doing it out of genuine service. Yeah. And they're not. I will say, I will say, John MacArthur does have a love for the word and a love for the church. As much as I might disagree with him on subjects, he, I, I believe he does genuinely have a love for the word in the church and want to see Christ's church grow. So. You can a little bit see the true minister from one of the, um, someone that isn't in, who's in it for the money, who isn't in it for service to God. You know, Joel Olstein has some of those things. He has a love for his words and he has a love for his church. He wants to see his church grow. Uh, He wants to see his bank account grow. That too. (laughs) Yeah. That too. Um. Little Joel Olstein, uh, stabs there for you. Yeah. Um. He rules his house well and has children in subjection with all gravity. Now, this one is um, an interesting one. Some people would say that 
for a minister, for a person to be qualified, their children must be saved. That's not really, it's not really fair. Um, I've only heard that opinion once or twice, and honestly, if you look at that opinion, it really makes no sense because that is putting a, uh, a burden that, again, we believe in individual soul liberty, whatever each person wants to do with their soul is their business. And I'm sorry to say that that is a, um, that might mean that they are a heretic. It might mean that they don't go to church. It might mean they're an atheist. You know, whatever it is, the uh, the idea here is not you know your children have to know the word. You, they have to be saved. The idea is that your children have to respect you as their leader, as the parent, as the as the man of the household, and as the spiritual guide to the church in a general family. Not just as the minister, but as a father. Um, if uh, let's combine verse five. For if a man not, uh, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? The church, the congregants are supposed to be the sheep. You're supposed to love the sheep. You're supposed to take care of the sheep. You're supposed to nurture the sheep. You're supposed to help make the sheep grow. Doesn't that sound a lot like what you're supposed to do with children? You're supposed to discipline the sheep. So. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, verse 6, do you want to go over go over that a little bit? or No. Okay. Well, I can keep, I can keep doing it. Uh, not a novice. Um, he's not just a beginner in the word. He's He knows. Uh, not a new convert might be a, a good way to say that. He knows the word. Um, he's not going to be, you know... Oh, I'm so great at this. I know it all, you know. Mm -hmm. And then he's prideful, and then bam, he has problems with his heart, and he has a, all sorts of this. He might forget, you know, certain passages we talked about Romans eight one. There for there is there for there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, uh, lest he. And then again, not novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. So. Uh, we'll look at verse seven, and then we're gonna f uh, we're gonna keep going quick through deacon, and we're gonna address uh, proto deacon just at the end, really briefly, uh, just because we're running out of time faster than we thought we would. Um, it's those rabbit trails, man. Yeah, it's the rabbit trails. Um, moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. I can go over that really quickly. Those without are unbelievers. He must have a good report. Uh, with them that are unsaved unbelievers, lest he fall into reproach, unless he is those people see him and look, go that guy is a hypocrite. He doesn't do what he preaches. All of this other stuff, and so then you have all sorts of other problems. So uh, let's go eight to um, thirteen. Then uh, would you like to read again, Nate? Yeah, and go ahead. Likewise, must the deacon be grave not double tongued not given to much wine not greedy of filthy lucre lucre L lucre mm -hmm. it's lucre okay. holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience and let these also first be proved then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless even so must their wives be grave not slanderers sober faithful in all things let the deacons be the husbands of one wife ruling their children and their own house as well. 
For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things I write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was the manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached to the Gentiles, believed on the world, received up in glory. Okay. So, uh, you'll find that a lot of them are very similar. Um, they're very similar qualifications. Uh, the, the deacons must be reverent. They must not be greedy. Uh, not given to much wine, you could say that you could make a defense for, like, they have a beer once a week. I don't know. We I think we can agree that the temperate, the temperate position, the yeah. probably not drinking, it's a safer position to hold throughout what we know from the rest of Scripture. I don't know why Paul wrote it that way. It's really not... I, I mean... We know I it think, does say the wife must be of sound mind, of clear mind, of, of sober... sober. So, maybe the man's allowed to have a beer once in a while, you know? <laughs> but the wife, she can't drink. Sorry. <clears throat> Horrendous. <laughs> okay, I'll say that one. I'll say that one. Um, so, just really quickly, you know, all of these are, all of these are the qualifications of the deacon. He's the minister in the church. We want to discuss proto-deacon from Acts 6 really quick. Um... You can read Acts 6. It's the first, like, five, six version, verses. Uh, we're not going to read it, though. We're just going to go through it quickly. So uh, the proto-deacon were the men that the early church appointed. Uh, they, uh, if, if you remember, Stephen was one of them. Uh, the early church had a problem in it. Uh, oh, the King James uses the word Grecians. That is not really a good translator um, note. It's should be Hellenists. Hellenists. They were the they weren't Greek. They were Jewish believers, but they were in a class of Jews that were fine with having some Greek influence. So today in our conservative Baptist churches we would call them worldly Christians. Now they weren't worldly uh, worldly in their spiritual beliefs. They were sound in doctrine but they were accepting to learn the Greek language. They were accepting of Greek names. Uh, if you read through the names of the what we're going to call the proto-deacons, the men that were appointed, those men were all, all had Greek names, Stephen, um, and we're not there, so just for the sake of the, we're just going to go with him. Stephen is a Greek name. All the rest of them are Greek names. But here's the interesting thing. The apostles said to him, you you bring the people before us, we'll lay on hands, and here's the qualifications. The qualifications for them at that time, and remember this is about 20 years earlier, so the beginning of the church, the qualifications for them were um, uh, similar to like the idea of blameless or above reproach, I think is what it says. Um, they had to be full of the Holy, Holy Ghost and wisdom. So it's much more simple. It, their job was a much more service job where they... In, uh, in our translations, it says wait tables. Uh, that is probably what they did to some extent. They probably did take on other roles, um, all sorts of um, all sorts of other things. Um, so with the the idea there is 
is that we have the pro- we some people call them early deacons proto deacons is probably more accurate because the office of deacon is really developed here and we really see this is how it works um and so that's that's just kind of something we want to bring up because a lot of people turn to Acts six two, and um, it's a really good passage. You can use it as um, you could possibly use it as a proof text for saying you know the congregation should nominate the deacons. Hmm. Um, that's that's kind of what you can look at. Um, one other note on the elder: we believe the position of apostle has ceased. Uh, we believe that the apostles were people that knew Christ, walked with Christ, and uh, had a apostolic authority. We don't believe there's people around that have that anymore. Paul, we don't know if he knew Christ or followed his ministry, but he is known as one of the apostles. That's probably because of his work. It's because he was recognized by an apostle by the church. It's because he was um, proclaiming the uh, God. And we do have evidence that, well, we do know that he met God. He was caught up in the third heaven, you know, and then he was humbled by a thorn in the flesh. We read in that same uh, passage in 1 Corinthians. So the idea there is that he didn't know Christ incarnate on the earth probably, but we know that after his conversion, he preached the word and he considered himself and the early church considered him the apostle to the Gentiles. Um, he wasn't the 12th apostle. I really don't believe that the early church made an error when they chose uh, Matthias to be the 12th apostle. I believe that that, because the Bible does not say that was error, I believe that that probably was the right decision. People say they cast lots. That is the last time the church cast lots. Um, we view Acts as a transition, so it's a little bit different. Um, it's kind of the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament where we're getting how to run our churches now versus how God was worshipped in the Old Testament. Um, we are out of time. Uh, so this is going to seem like a very abrupt uh, change. But we have an announcement, and I'm going to ask um, Nate to make that quick. So I, I bet, I know we don't have a lot of listeners, but our two or three of you that actually regularly listen probably uh, noticed that we no longer we're down a member mm-hmm. uh, Caleb Wilson we we talked amongst ourselves and he was unable to join us for the remainder of the series and for here on out through the podcast um, we don't we still support one another we still are good friends it's just with distance and there's different scheduling different scheduling problems um on a positive note part of the reason that he has scheduling problems is he is now married so congratulations to him congratulations caleb yeah um so that's part part of it not to say that his wife is stealing him away from us she is um (laughs) bless me nice there now nate (laughs) anyways nate is joking but you know he is now one flesh with um his wife and you know we are very happy for him he lives in florida we are in iowa so there is a bit of a distance a bit of a distance so that is kind of the reason poor internet connection where he's at he serves in camp ministry quite a bit so you know where he's from in florida yeah 
Where is he from in Florida? Why, why not? Why don't we talk about that later so that's not over the air? I wonder. Anyways. How many miles is that? From here yeah, it's probably, to just the state of Florida. Well, our point our point is is that there's no, you know, bad hard feelings. There wasn't anything that happened where we're breaking up. It was just um thirteen hundred miles. Thirteen hundreds. I was gonna guess about seven fifty to a thousand. Twenty one so hours. Twenty one hours. A drive down there. But we should we could totally drive down there once a week. You know, record an episode. Halfway, we split. Meet, meet, we can split. meet halfway. Yeah. Yeah. Or he, we drive down one week, he drives up the next. It totally works. These are all things we've thought of, and obviously they No, they aren't, don't because work. we knew they were stupid. <laughs> so, let's just run with, let's not run with that too far, but um, we still are in some contact with Caleb as much as we can, we can with his busy schedule, with our busy schedules. Um, Nate and I are both in Iowa, we are very, <laughs> we're, we're by each other most of the day, it's very convenient for us to be able to do this yet, and we talked to Caleb, and he said, you know what, I understand uh, why, you guys, why you guys are asking this, and I think that would actually be perfect, I hadn't really considered it before, but it's probably a good decision, and uh, he said, you know, I know we're writing that book. Do you still want me to do that? And I said, Caleb, we'd love it if you did that. We'd love your insight on that. So that is not coming out anytime soon. We'll talk to you more about that in a couple months, hopefully. A little bit of a shameless plug right there. Yeah, a little bit, of, yeah. So you don't even get to know the name yet. No. No. But it has to do with the Bible. It has, it has to do, to do with, with the Bible. Yeah, it does. It does. It's by us. It's by us, Men of God Project. Yeah, that's all we got for you. Yeah, for right now. Like I said, our three listeners. Yeah. Um, you know, I can tell, I can tell you one chapter is on, uh, we, we kind of preach, uh, hellfire and damnation in one chapter. I know that cause I wrote that chapter. Um, it's an, inter- it's an, it's an interesting book and I think a lot of people are going to like it. Some people aren't going to like it. You know, again, we're from a more conservative circle where it's going to be more widely accepted probably. Um, mm-hmm. but we, uh, probably. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully we're not called out for some sort of heresy, but uh, we want to thank you for listening to us, and we want to apologize for the change. We wanted to have Caleb, but just things weren't lining up. Things weren't working out. Uh, we tried a couple of times, and it just never really came to uh, fruition. So we want to apologize for that, and um, we want we, if Caleb is listening, we want to thank him for all he has done for us, and as he continues to serve with us as a part-time uh, member with us. Um, we really appreciate him. We appreciate his ministry in Florida. Um, and we now appreciate cue the sad music. his love for others and his genuine love for Christ and Christ church. Um, with that, I think we should probably finish and uh, we want to, we want to thank you again for listening to us. So thank you. Have a good night. Yep. Good night. Bye. The Men of God Podcast is brought to you by the Men of God Project, serving God by the study of His Word.